Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mashad. Saying, boy, do we have a special guest. Oh my gosh, Christine Sperber is in the house. What's up? Hey, Darius. How are you? Oh, man. I try to see how fast I can do my intros. So <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting pretty quick. Uh, man, I'm so pumped that, you, that you're here. Do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll get rocking? Absolutely not. Go ahead. As long as I don't have to housekeep, I'm happy. <laughs> Let's do that, man. So uh, for listeners that are new to the show, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. People are living their passions and those creating greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. And Christine is neither short of passion nor greatness. So I met Christine a few weeks ago at um, GOT. We all know I love my GOT and I like talking about it all the time. Um, and, and, and what Christine doesn't know is that um, I'm pretty, I, I mean, I'm pretty super, I'm super freaking picky on who I bring on the show, especially now because, because the show actually like people actually listen to the show now. And so I cherry, I, I cherry picked a couple of, I, I interviewed Mike, Michael Zagarish yesterday, who was the, the photographer who is freaking amazing. And I was like, Oh, I got to interview Michael. And I got to interview Christine. So I'm so excited that you decided to come on the show. You had such an interesting story. Um, and I was like, man, I want to hang out with her. And then we got to hang out even, you know, we got to bro out sister out a little bit, like at, at the event. So that, that was cool. <laughs> Um, and I was like, oh, this, we're going to have some fun on the show. So, so welcome. Um, I'm so glad to have you here. You're, you're, you're one of your uh, colleagues, Mr. Chip Conley is a former guest on the show. So, so here we are getting to chop it up and, and, and learn about you and your world and, and all the amazingness that you're doing. So, um, yeah, gosh, so um, I want to give your formal bio and then, and then I'd love it if you wouldn't mind, like kind of giving our audience a little bit of your origin story. Does that work for you? That sounds perfect. 
I'm all about like I always ask permission for lots of things, and then and then okay. I just get at, then we get after it. Um, so, uh, Christine is the uh, co-founder and CXO, Chief Experience Officer at MEA, the Modern Elder Academy, uh, down in Todos Santos, Mexico, as well as uh, they're building their new campus in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, she's also a former pro snowboarder. We're gonna be talking about how she came up when uh, when when the pro snowboarding was was just coming up, and she was made made a name for herself in the, in that arena until she moved into the the new world of experience officer and doing all the amazing things that she did and is doing at MEA. Um, so with that said, man, I'd love to if you wouldn't mind, you know, giving us a little bit of your origin story. I, I obviously have heard it, but I'd love for you to kind of enlighten our audience on how you came up in the world before you didn't weren't just born a pro snowboarder and CXO. It, it happened through trials and tribulations and so much amazingness. But yeah, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of your origin story. You're such a good hype man. I just want to bring you with me everywhere. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. I was, <laughs> I was uh, born in New Jersey, oldest of four sisters. We kind of went on ski vacations, but for those of you who know skiing, like you just have to do it all the time to get good, right? And snowboarding has a much faster learning curve. You really pay in the early days, but oh. then you can kind of, yeah, yeah, right? Together, feet together on one plank, like there, there's payment, there's punishment, there can be. Um, so I was in college, I saw uh, snowboarders. I was on a ski trip in college, saw snowboarders and thought, I have to do that. I have to do that. I was, um, to backtrack a little bit, my gift from my parents for my high school graduation was an outward bound trip to the Pacific Northwest. So here I am, this East Coast kid. My sister likes to say that my mother was the last in a long line of classy women, and then came the four of us girls. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I never saw my grandmother without like hose and heels and done, right? We're just not really in that era anymore, and I'm certainly not that woman. Um, so here I go off on this outward bound trip. I, I deboard in Seattle. I see a woman my, my grandmother's age kind of walk through the terminal in hiking boots. And I was like, what, what is this world? So this first experience to the American West really lit me on fire. And then, you know, it always felt like I was suffocating in classrooms and outward bound was experiential education. So it was life changing on a number of different levels, you know, kind of opening my ideas to the possibilities. So then I go to college. I see these snowboarders. I have to be a part of it. Uh, next year, I moved to Breckenridge, Colorado, started snowboarding. And, you know, snowboarding was like everything, this progressive innovation sprint, just like sparks of brilliance all over the place. And I got to be a part of that early culture of snowboarding that I just don't think it would be possible today at 19 to begin to snowboard and, and be a pro. Like they're minting these little kids. They go to snowboard academies. It's their whole lives. Um, so it was a really special time, really lucky entry point into snowboard world. That's so cool. I, I, so I have a question. So first of all, did you do like Knowles or did you do like the outward bound, outward bound program? Cause I know they're kind I, of like, they're two different programs similar in their curriculum. Uh, I did outward bound. I okay. Outward my bound. sister, my sister did Knowles. I now, now what's funny is, and I, I meant to say this to you when I mentioned when, when we met, I'm like, you're like a East coaster that reminds me of a West coaster. Right. I, I don't know. If, like, like, like you don't have the, I mean, like, look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to mess with you in like a dark alley. You got a little Jersey in you. Right. <laughs> but, but, but you have like this like laid back kind of like Cali vibe. Right. 
Uh, like you got a little, have you been accused of that before in your life? Um, I mean, I, the truth is I've spent more time in the West now than I did in the East. I moved when I was 19. I'm 53 now. Right. So if you look at just my timeline, more of it's been out of New Jersey than in New Jersey, although I still tap back there all the time. My sisters are there. My family's there. I'm part of a gigantic Italian family. And uh, so, you know, I still have that. We had one of our guests at MEA say of the four partners, we're three co-founders and four partners, that I'm the only one that he would be afraid to take a punch from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can see that. Uh, the, 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 the reason I say that is I'm born and bred Cali and I'm always being accused of being from like New York, New Jersey. Like people are always like, Darius, like I, I was in college, like, oh, you, you, you remind me of, you look like a New Yorker. You act like a New Yorker. And I'm like, oh, so I, I get the I opposite. see that. I, you definitely I got, like, have that New York intensity. Like, let's get this done. Yeah. Don't fuck around. Let's go. Dude, born and raised in SoCal. <laughs> near the beach you know i didn't i will tell you this though i didn't i didn't feel like i fit in there i was always like ah man fuck these people um <laughs> so I, I it really is did feel the same in new jersey you know i mean i had wonderful experiences there at a really privileged childhood but the same like i just couldn't wait and and that outward bound trip was kind of like wow all this stuff i've been dreaming about is real yeah. although i did fantasize about growing up in a commune in California. You know, I thought that was so bohemian and wonderful. And then as an adult, especially when I moved to Baja, I met a lot of people who'd grown up in, in communes and it wasn't exactly the fantasy that I had. had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, which is kind of funny, like where you've gone with that. So, so um, where'd you go to college? Where'd you, where'd you get educated? Um, I went to Western New England college in Springfield, Massachusetts. Darius, I've faked my report cards in school for years, like pre-Photoshop, cutting out little like the squares and putting in new scores. So my parents didn't know how poorly I was doing. I was, a, you know, an athlete. I really I felt suffocated in classrooms, always been a learner. I've always been a reader, but classroom situation didn't work for me. So and I tested well. So we got to kind of the end of the line in high school and I sent in all these applications and, you know, that was not a successful thing. And then, yeah, uh, <laughs> they didn't take the, they, they didn't take the cut and paste uh, report card. No, I'm guessing. No, they did not. They had the real transcripts and those did not hold up through no. the application process. <laughs> so I ended up at Western New England for a year and then dropped out and moved to ski town and, and, you know, found my own education. I'm That's so cool. Well, you know, what's funny is like, it's, um, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine and, and, and her, and this is, I think more prominent in other cultures. I mean, I grew up like half Persian, half Italian. So I'm like with, and the Persian, Persians are like the Italians of the middle East, but, um, you know, so, so it, I mean, like uh, they really are. And, 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 but like in that culture, it's like your parents want you to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. And I remember I was like sophomore year of college. And I'm like, why the fuck am I doing this? I mean, I'm, right. I'm like you, like, I'm pretty like, like, like you're sharp, right? Like I can learn pretty quickly when I want to. Um, but I was always, I was like a solid B student because I was like, you know, I can do fucking almost nothing to get B. This is, this is, <laughs> or I have to try hard to get the A and I'm like, this is, I'm like, I'm like C plus B, uh, do nothing. Okay. I'll do that. Um, you, but you like I would try 80, 20 way back, right? <laughs> totally. A total Pareto's principle. I was like. I was like, I can do almost zero and get a fucking B minus. This is, this seems good. That by the way, does not work well to get you into college. 
So I use sport. Then I realized I was a really good athlete. So I, I, I was like a wrestler. And I, so then I feel like, Oh, I can, I call up the coach and I'm like, Hey, how did I not get into this place? Like <laughs> they got me in, you know, they're, they're like I, I was a walk on, but, but anyway, um, so you, so it's interesting. Yeah. Like I almost left too. I ended up toughing it out, which was, I was right. My parents convinced me to stick with it. They're like, Oh, it's something to fall back on. I'm like, mom, dad, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like, like I don't need, I don't need any, There's nothing to fall back on. I'm going to work for myself. So I was right, but I, I did muscle it through. Um, so, so you're in Brackenridge, which like, tell us about that. Because I mean, I mean, I've had some friends take, I've had a lot of friends that take their like sabbatical years in their like twenties and they're like, fuck it, I'm going to go be a bartender in, in Brackenridge and just like go be a ski bum. And they all, and I, I was a person that was not doing any of that stuff. So I'd love to hear about your experience. You were 19, 20. You're like, all right, I'm out. I'm going to go do, I'm going to go do me. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. And my parents were like, good, you go do that, but you are totally on your own. And I was the first person in my family to do anything like that for some generations. Um, yeah. So 1989, moved to Colorado. Um, it was just amazing. I just can't even capture what it was like. It, when I think about ski towns in the 80s and the early 90s, it's the thing that makes me viscerally understand the emotion of nostalgia. Like mm. the yearning for a thing that is gone. Um, it was just wildness. There were, you know, I remember walking into a bar in Breckenridge, probably my second winter there, maybe even in the summer. The summers were even um, more unhinged. And um, I walked into a bar, I was probably 19 years old. Um, and everyone turned, every head turned when I walked in and it was probably 50 men in the bar. There just weren't a lot of women. And here I am like 19 years old, female. I just walked out. I was like, that's not going to, that's just not going well. That's not a good yeah. idea of how to spend my afternoon, my evening. Um, but I mean, people really living their passions, everyone hiking, climbing, you know, um, it's not like there wasn't status. Like coming from New Jersey, it was status was so important, right? The right, school on the sticker on the back of the Mercedes station wagon, the right job, the right clothes, the right clubs, that all mattered. And it's not that there wasn't a series of status symbols in a ski town, but they were more about like, what are you climbing? How far are you hiking? Mm. How much are you skiing? How many days are you skiing? Are you, um, you know, are you really getting out and after it? Are you really living kind of fully? And um, I just loved it. I loved those early days. Yeah, that's the staying for 32 years. <laughs> wow. So, so let me ask you a question. Um, and this is a, I'm, I'm totally going like I'm AWOL on you here. Do you know, are you friends with Steven Kotler? Do you know him? Oh my gosh. Okay. I've been a, a fan, arm's length fan for a while. Uh, Chip knows him. I've loved his books. West of Jesus was, was foundational for me. And then the new book, Nar Country just came out yeah. right about becoming an extreme skier in his fifties. Um, we have a plan to do a workshop with Stephen at our new um, new campus in Santa Fe. He has agreed okay. to do that with us, so um, I cannot wait to meet him. So you excited. guys have so much in common. So I so I I got the I I got an advanced copy of NAR Country and and, and interviewed him on it, which is a oh. it's a fun interview. Um, and and but when you're talking about First of all, like if you read that book, then you'll then you already know what I'm saying. Like, dude, you guys have a lot in common. You should connect with them. I, I'll even make an intro. Um, 
but if he's going to be at MEA, then then you guys will connect. You guys have a lot of overlap and a lot of like 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 the way you talk about Breckenridge is the way he talks about his experience. It's really interesting. You guys need to connect. Anyway, sorry. Back to back to your story. So you're in Breckenridge. <laughs> you're 19. There's a lot of dudes. There's one of you. You're like, <laughs> I, I, it's so fun. <laughs> I just, I, I'm fucking with you. Um, but yeah, no, I mean like, like what, how did that segue into like professional snowboarding? Cause that's, I mean, I'm sure there was other women there that were like experiencing the outdoors that didn't become world renowned, you know, snowboarders. How did that happen for you? You know, actually though, a lot of us did that kind of oh. freshman class. We really, we really got to step up. We were snowboarding every day and there's no better way to become a good snowboarder than to snowboard every day. I remember moments of being angry that the lifts had closed for the day because what was it going to do until they opened again, you know, mm. like, all this time. Um, so I think it was, it was just kind of passion and then practical, right? So coming up in a ski town, I was amazed, so happy to kind of hit this pinnacle of ski town life like I was a waitress right? That is the greatest thing in a ski town. I was pocketing a couple hundred dollars in cash at night. I had all day to go snowboarding. The thing about being a waitress, Darius, is no one calls you afterwards to say like, hey, did you whatever? Like there's no yeah. follow up. Your responsibility ends at the end of the shift and, and restaurant family, like that concept of flow that we talk about in sport and all kinds of things, you can get that. Uh, there's kind of a group flow in the most amazing service environments. I mean, I, we would run during these shifts, two and a half hour wait out the door, slinging spaghetti at this place called Pasta Jays that still exists today. Um, and there were, there were a lot of us young athletes in there, but the idea that I might be able to pay my rent without going and running through a, a seven, eight hour shift after snowboarding all day, I was like, all right, this I, I want some of this. I want some of this money. I want someone to pay me to ride my snowboard. Um, and when it happened, it was it was pretty glorious. And, it, you know, pre-social media, for good or bad. I think it's great that young athletes get to kind of own their own brand these days. Um, but at the same time, being able to travel around the world without it all being recorded every moment, we got to be dipshits in a really um, young and, and lighthearted way not under a oh. microscope shout out to clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples hey there friends it's darius from shazda here and i have a little confession to make you see i've been battling allergies for years now and let me tell you they've been a real ordeal in my life allergies have been my constant companion they stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits allergies have been a real nuisance luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. 
Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. I mean, so I'm a little younger, but I, but we're still this and we're both Gen X. And so I was in high school in the early 90s, right? Um, you just finished high school in the late 80s. Um, and so it, it like like that was all the same shit as far as I'm concerned. And 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 the best part of it, I would say I'm like, I mean, I I, I will not even listen. I w- there's things that we did that I know would have been on social media that I would be like embarrassed about now as like really embarrassed. Like Absolutely. and I'm like, thank God. Like, A, that shit would have like ri- that would have like hung that would have been stuff that like like I'll just put it this way. There's like politicians whose shit that comes out now that you're like, dude, really, bro? Yeah, me and my friends did some of that stuff. And so I'm like, uh, <laughs> I mean, I was 14, 15 years old, right? And there wasn't, a, and, and guess what? I'm not telling you what it is, but I'm just going to tell you that I'm happy it's not out there. <laughs> At the same time, you know, like y- there's a leverage people get with social media, right? Like if you're a Absolutely. pro athlete, like there you get massive leverage that like pro athletes 30 years ago just didn't have, you know? And so it, it kind of started and ended there. You couldn't really turn it into much afterwards. There was no personal brand, the personal brand. I mean, there was maybe for like the best of the best. I mean, I, I'm thinking like Warren Miller's like, you know, movies, like the guys in those movies, some of those guys had personal brands, but it's not like now. Now there's people with personal brands where you're like, this guy's like kind of mediocre at their sport, but they're like really entertaining and they have a personal brand. So there's kind of something lost. I mean, my sense is that if, I guess a question for you is, if you could go back and have the tools of today versus the anonymity of not people recording you doing stupid shit, which would you choose? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, If I got to take the wisdom that I have from a lifetime of experience as a 54 nope. year old and transport the, Oh no, I just have to be a 17 year old on, on you gotta press stage. the button. 
Yeah, oh, you press man. the button, you get you get Instagram, and you and you have your abilities you had at twenty, or you get no Instagram, and you know, you get to have fun and and never get to see it in the future. Just live off your memories. I think that I might take no Instagram. Mm. I, I think I might at twenty. As powerful as it is, I don't know that I had the tools at that point that uh, that the exposure would have have done me or the world any good. I feel quite fortunate that uh, I got to grow up pre-social media. Yeah, I was a real, right. I was a hothead. I I really had some hot-headed moments, you know. And uh, I'm a I'm really grateful for the years I've had to kind of learn and process, figure out that that space between stimulus and response. Those are those are important tools. You know? Yeah, I needed yeah. them maybe maybe more than many people. Yeah, and and you're Italian, so I don't fuck with you. Like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Like, how long were you? Like, like what what was it like coming up in that era? Like, like you guys got to go do a bunch of crazy stuff. But I mean, you were you know like a world world respected. You know, what was it half pipe? Is that right? Yep, yep. I um com competitively, I rode half pipe. Um, for fun and to this day I will ride powder or pretty much anything anytime because it's just a good time to be on a snowboard but I yeah. think the thing that anyone was willing to pay me for was to to ride half pipe um which is still kind of just a mind-blowing sentence I got paid to ride a half pipe like how lucky can you be um so what was it like we we traveled to events we did photo shoots there were um uh, magazine trips that that would put together articles about different trips. So it was a lot of travel um, with different pods of people and um, really not doing a great job of explaining how wonderful it was. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. no, no, you're good. Don't worry about it. I mean, the, to think about like, at one point I had an unlimited travel budget, which meant if if I were invited somewhere, I could go. The manufacturer that I rode for, which was Morrow Snowboards at the time, would cover my travel expenses. I would get home from a trip. There'd often be a FedEx envelope waiting with tickets to the next trip. Sometimes I didn't know where I was going until I got that envelope. And, you know, it was exhausting and um, celebratory and, you know, unbelievable. It was an unbelievable couple of years. I during the same this you know this same time of competing in the winter it was really important to be on summer snow, and so some people would go down the southern hemisphere. There was also these this camp these camps that happened up at Timberline on Mount Hood in Oregon, and mm -hmm. I wrangled my way into being a coach at one of the camps, and that was great because you just stay fresh and the progress for the entire season would really happen on these camps on glacial snow. And I went from being a coach to an um, on-hill manager to the camp director. And then we went out and did this GM search, I think my fourth year there, where the two founders were ready to kind of step back into board positions. And we did a pretty good search and and no one was right. You know, it was the time where it was big enough business that we really started to look at some, kind of some captain of industry types. And they were all like, like they dye their hair blue for the interview i really get you kids and it was like no you really <laughs> fucking don't like you are gonna crush our culture holy shit and so kind of watching the parade of people that wanted to step into leadership 
when snowboarding became big business was the thing that pushed me into like, I've got to figure this out because what makes this so special is the culture and this spirit of innovation and the authenticity. Like action sports has this really like hair trigger bullshit meter that's so special and needs to be preserved at, at all all costs. And so I moved from, you know, still getting paid as an athlete and moved into being the GM of, of the camps, the largest snowboard camp in the world. Were and, you doing uh, that? So were you doing that while you were still a pro? So you said this yes. was not like, okay, so, so winners, you're going in all over the place. Summers, you're the GM of, of the Mount Hood. Is it that there's an academy up there, right? Mount Hood Academy. That's like a boarding school that people go to that are like pro skiers and snowboarders. Is that the same place or is that different? Um, it's all kind of part of the same soup of people, but High Cascade was the camp that I ran. Um, gotcha. Okay. And so like when I was coaching and doing the on-hill management, that I would still go and, and be an athlete, a competitive athlete in the winter. When I stepped into the GM role, I sunset my contracts and thanked all my sponsors for, you know, letting me have such a great life of traveling around the world for the while. And then moved to Bend, Oregon into like a desk job, which was one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life was Wait, did you do, did, were a you, job. Were you injured or something or was there, what, did something, I mean, most people don't like just like bow out of a pro athlete gig to just go to, to, to management. I know. <laughs> I know. I wasn't injured. I just, I oh, always shit, known, No way. Yeah. I knew that I wanted to work on the business side of it. I knew mm. I had, you know, all of a year of, of college behind me. And so when that door opened, I really kind of pushed my way through it and thought like, here, you know, I can't, I can't miss this opportunity both to serve this camp, protect this culture, but you know, it, it was a big opportunity for me to get in there and learn. How long did you do that for? Um, I was a GM for a couple of years and then, um, Ended up moving back to Colorado after a few years in Oregon. Real again, really fun years of deep innovation and uh, working with the most passionate people who know how to to really play and you know be great athletes and make a difference in the world in their own kind of purpose and passion, right? And then went back to Ski Town, back to Breckenridge. Um, and from there got recruited by Copper Mountain because the GM or the CEO at Copper Mountain, this man, David Barry, recognized way before many ski areas, many resorts, that the ski areas weren't doing a good job of onboarding snowboarders, right? Mm. So there's PSIA, which is Professional Ski Instructors of America. They do a great job of teaching people how to ski, but people don't want to learn how to snowboard. They want to be snowboarders, right? Right. And that's very different. And so David Barry pulled me out of camp world and said, come on over. Let's figure this out at a resort level. How do we onboard snowboarders? How do we how do we hire snowboarders? They they had a philosophy at Copper when I started about the snowboard instructors that was um, you can't fire them till you hire them. They just had no idea how to interact with, with the culture of snowboarders and um turned out to be a really fun program. We brought in a lot of great instructors and, and had a lot of fun for a couple of years. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, 
That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What, so what, like, obviously you were like, really, this was your world. What was it that made you say, hey, I'm out. I, I'm over snowboarding. I want to move on to something else. Because obviously there was a big transition that happened that I'd like to move to. And, and I, what was like the stop, straw that broke the camel's back? Why did you decide like, hey, I don't want to be in this world anymore. I want to move to a different world. It's a, a great and fair question, Darius. Um, and to be clear, I still snowboard all the time. I snowboard for myself, but I made a decision that I didn't want to be part of the snowboard industry anymore. Um, I didn't want it to be my whole world. I didn't want it to be my professional world. There was snowboarding so focused on this kind of core demographic of 14-year-old boys, and it just got boring. Just There's, it's, there's such a richer audience mm. of people out there that want to snowboard. So the combination of feeling really devalued as, you know, uh, older, I was all of like my late twenties, uh, older female snowboarder that no one was really interested in talking to, or very few people were interested in talking to, um, combined with, I was, I, I was traveling a lot and I felt like I was missing being deeply embedded in my ski town community and being an everyday snowboarder. So I kind of wound back from an industry career and went back to living in a ski town and going up on the hill every single day. <laughs> and and so um I know that that you 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 know you kind of made a move to Mexico from here. Like how did yes. that come to be? So, I did a a quick stint in residential real estate, which is like the only click above being a a bartender or a waitress in a ski town is being a realtor. Right. So I did that for a hot minute. Didn't really land for me. Um, I liked it. I was successful at it. Loved putting first time home buyers in homes, but just didn't feel like the right long term. At the same time, one of my dear friends um, was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And so that kind of put a halt on me, you know, investing any energy in real estate. I was spending a lot of time traveling to Salt Lake City to be with her. Um, and just made me look at everything. Like I just didn't want to waste another moment. And I promised her that I wouldn't waste another moment. Her name was Krista Moreau. She was a, an athlete, a skater. She raced motorcycles. She's the most amazing, most unafraid, most badass woman I've known in my entire life. And I really wanted to dedicate myself to, um, I guess, taking the opportunities that she wasn't going to have because we lost her to breast cancer. That puts a really wow. fine point on things, doesn't it? So how, I took a sabbatical. She, how she old was, was she when? Yeah, when she passed. She was young. She was in her thirties. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, like when you see that, and like, and you know, I've had, I've lost people that were of all ages to cancer, and and especially, but when people are young, you're like, hey, man, like tomorrow's not promised, yeah. you know? 
and and so I'm, I'm i mean it's a gift that you got that gift and you know and that's cool that you you're honoring her and so so sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but so from there like obviously this happened with your friend and you had this like kind of moment where you're like hey i'm i'm, I'm gonna go honor her and and honor myself and 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 so how did that how how, how you're like, hey, I'm going to Mexico. <laughs> I mean, I've almost, by the way, I've almost done, I lived in Mexico last year for a month. And so I've almost done that a number of times because Mexico, there's, there's a magic about Mexico where you're like, especially for people that get it. It's funny when people don't get Mexico, like I'll yeah. talk to friends and I'm like, oh, I'm going to Mexico for a month. And they're, they're like, is that safe? <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to be doing deals with the cartel. So yeah, probably it's pretty safe. I mean, it's also, I'm not in the United States either, which has, you know, it's probably safer here, relatively speaking, but, but yeah, how did you, uh, how'd you pull the trigger on, on Mexico? Um, you know, I'd long wanted to go to Baja. I don't know what it was. It just had this, this like magnetism to Baja. And it was someplace that I knew I could go, I could drive to, I could bring my dogs with me. And so, um, we, we took a five month sabbatical to Baja. My husband and I packed up our truck and drove down with surfboards, motorcycles, mountain bikes. And, you know, I think about the evolution. When we first started driving down in 2008, it was like the lifted truck and all the things. And can we be ready to off-road? And now I think the coolest thing is like, can you drive the Baja in a Celica? Like, could you do it in a 1988 <laughs> Celica? Like, how stripped down could you be? Could you do it in like like a Cub 90, like one of those Honda motorcycles from the 70s? I, you know, so I look at, at our evolution of that as well, but, um, went down for five months, ended up just absolutely falling in love with the place and the pace and the people. I started volunteering to teach English in the community. We thought we'd travel all around Baja and we ended up, uh, at a friend's kind of surf camp in a place called El Pescadero that he'd bought on a handshake years and years and years before, but he didn't have a title for years, all of the like nightmares that you hear about buying real estate in Mexico, like it all should be true with this deal. And none of it is true. He bought it on a mm. handshake. It was, he said it was kind of the money in his pocket. And years later he got his title and everything was legitimate. So we, we lived on that property. We spent every day on the beach and working in the community. And we met uh, a woman who was building a resort that's become quite, um, quite big and quite famous at this point, um, hit it off with her, agreed to come back and run communications and teach Pilates, like the tiniest little insertion to come back and do this. But it was like, oh, I've seen this movie before where someone invites you to move to a foreign country that you've always loved and do a thing that you don't really know how to do. And you're definitely supposed to say yes. Right. right. <laughs> so yeah. we said yes. And, uh, from there, I mean, it's been 15 years in Baja of, oh, you know, how, how big was, the, can I ask a question? How big was yeah. the hotel when you got there? The, the, the one that you, you started working at, um, we opened with 12 rooms and we made the so, Condé Nast hot list that first year. And was she had, had, did she have experience in the hotel business or is she from Mexico or she from the States? She's from the States. Um, and we, we were all kind of like, we don't know what we're doing right? We don't know this industry. We've all been travelers. We know how we like to be treated. Um, you know, but it was a new industry in a new country in a new language, like talk about jumping in with both feet or that idea of like, if you really knew what you were signing up for, would you still sign up for? I'm glad that I was a little naive about what I was saying yes to, because it was, 
um, an, an incredible learning curve. She didn't have a hospitality background either. So we just decided we'd, we'd run on golden rule. Like how did, how did we want to be treated? And it worked. And we had, you know, consultants telling us that we couldn't do it that way, that we were over servicing people and, um, you know, that we were saying yes to too many things and we were undercharging and um, it all worked, you know, what, it um, all worked. What, what was like the biggest thing? Like if you were to think, look back and say, like, I'm glad I was naive is what you just said a second ago. Yeah. What was the biggest thing where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe we, like the biggest like punch in the face. Where you're like, <laughs> oh my God, that sucked. <laughs> but like, and, and it maybe it didn't even suck. It was maybe it was a surprise, like biggest suck or biggest surprise that you're like, oh shit, I wish we knew that. Um, probably the biggest one I, I, I can't talk about on your podcast because I ended up violating Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Oh, <laughs> oh damn. Um, um, you know, working in a second language, uh, your non-native language is exhausting. So, you know, that was a punch in the face. We definitely were taking private Spanish lessons and getting up to speed. Traveler Spanish and working Spanish are very different. Um, you know what, though? I think so. There is no day. And this is my experience in Mexico. So, I won't, you know, I don't want to, to paint with too broad a brush. But my experience in Mexico has been that like no day matters as much as today and nothing matters as much as your family. Right. And learning to manage a staff that had that set of values where today mattered, my family mattered. Sometimes they're not coming to work because, you know, grandma got sick and I wasn't used to that level of commitment to family. I wasn't used to that level of commitment to um, presence. And what I learned along the way is that my ideas were wrong. And that their ideas were better. And so mm. I was the one that was kind of pulled in, in a new direction. Can I tell you one story that just like, yeah, yeah. my ass forever. So um, we had this one week at the hotel with ab just absolutely massive tip pool, like life-changing amount of money for these employees. And I wanted to be responsible with, you know, you know what happens when someone's handed a lot of money without consequence. So I took a meeting with each one of the staff. We were probably 30 at that point. And I said, you know, you earn this money. I'm so proud of you. Um, think about it. I want you to spend it wisely. You know, handing people like 10 and 20 times their weekly salary is a tip in cash. And every one of them sat with me and said, yes, Hefa, thank you. You know, there were some tears. People were really touched. The entire staff went out that Friday afternoon. There was a man on staff who's a horse trainer whose daughter is actually, we're grooming her to be the GM of MEA now. I've met her when she was eight and she's been with me ever since. So horse trainer and jockey and the entire staff went to the race on that, the horse race that Friday night and they bet it all. They bet every bit of this money on the race. And I'm furious, right? As like someone who was raised to think about saving for retirement, just like furious at them. I thought these children, how could they risk this? Here's the thing though, right? Darius, they won. They all oh. won. They all <laughs> doubled their money. They bet on their guy. They bet on Santos. He was their friend. Um, and then the word trickled back that I, I was angry about the betting. And so the, the leader, kind of the, the 
the spiritual leader of the staff, Anna Maria, whose daughter is Alondra, who's still with us and will be the GM at MEA in Baja. She came to me and she was like, Hesa, we hear you're angry. Why are you angry at us? Why are you mad? I said, I just can't believe that you would risk this kind of money. And, uh, and she was like, but, but we won. We won and we had so much fun. I said, well, what if you didn't win? And we didn't win. It's okay. And I was like, holy shit. I'm wrong here. They had an amazing experience. They supported their friend. There was no regret had they not won. And they doubled it. It was like it snapped me into presence in a way that probably nothing else ever has. Yeah. Well, it's also like this. I mean, yeah, it's just um, there's two things I see. First of all, I'm like, easy come, easy go. Right. Like they're like, did they expect the 10, 10 weeks or 20 weeks of pay for one tip pool? They're like, no. So it's not like there was this like hardcore grind for that. They just did their job and got way more than they normally got. And then the other part is to your point, I think that's that's one thought that I had. Maybe I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And then the second thought was. Yeah, this thing with being present, right? But we were talking about this before the chat where it's like, yeah, like all you asked to, is today, like you just got 10 extra money, like go put it all on black. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, I don't know. There, there was such a, like a, an innocence and immediacy about it. Like there was no other choice. This money came into my hands. There was an opportunity to bet it. We knew our guy was going to win because he's our guy. It was like in their minds, there was never even any risk. It was the the thing to do. So, um, yeah, that was that was a fundamental change for me. Wow. So, um, so fast forward. Um, how did how did you get hooked up with MEA? I mean, you know. So first of all, for the audience that doesn't know what MEA is, do you mind like kind of giving a little bit of background about MEA how, and what is it, and then how did you get hooked up with it? All right. So MEA is fascinating. MEA is the was really. The Chip Conley's brainchild, who is my business partner, Chip went to work at Airbnb in his 50s. I think he was 53 when he started there. He was recruited by the founders to come in as a mentor, ended up as, um, you know, the SVP of global hospitality eventually. Um, But they brought him in because they needed mentorship, right? So we're in this world right now, Darius. You see it all the time, I'm sure, where like money and power is cascading to the ever younger But we don't have emotional intelligence to our earlier point about did we want our whole lives at 19 (laughs) preserved forever on social media? Think about who you were at that age. So kudos to those guys for recognizing that that bringing in um, someone with not just business experience, but emotional intelligence and wisdom into the organization was helpful. They brought Chip in. He quickly realized that he was in a situation where he wasn't familiar with tech. And he made the switch to not only am I going to be a mentor, but I'm going to be an intern and I'm going to mentor privately and intern publicly. And he Mm. became a librarian basically to the entire company. People were coming to him for resources. And what they told him at that time was that that they considered him a modern elder, that he was as curious as he was wise. And that curiosity was really the door opener. So. Fast forward, he writes a book about it, and we create a space in Baja for people to come and talk about all of these midlife transitions and how can we maintain curiosity as we move into, you know, the second half of our life? How can we write that chapter intentionally? And what we learned so quickly, so we've got this whole curriculum and we've got these tools to help 
move people out of stuck places or to really consider where they want to go. But the power of it was having these conversations with like-hearted people. So convening a cohort of 20 to 30 people in similar places and having real conversation about what it's like to be in this stage of life, these challenges um, has been the most transformative part. So that's MEA. We are all about unleashing wisdom in the world. It's not a didactic model, right? We do have a curriculum that we've written, but the most powerful part is bringing people together, creating the container to have these very powerful conversations. And so, um, first of all, kudos to you guys. I mean, I, I talked to, I knew, I met Chip 2009. So I'm from San Francisco, right? I lived in San Francisco yeah. and he, and he was, and he, he was, you know, he's kind of a, a, kind of a local celebrity there a little bit, you know, cause Absolutely. he was running Joadavi hotels. And so for people that don't know about Chip, you had written a book called Peak about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He had a really famous Ted talk about this. Um, and then he, and then he ended up selling Joada V, which was the largest boutique hotel firm, I think either in the country or in California. And then he ends up working for Brian Chesky and the, the, the Airbnb guys. And, you know, to your point becomes the modern elder of Airbnb, which uh, we all know where that ends up. You know, it's, it's, this is early, this is like 2011 before they were anybody. Um, and now they're a big deal. Right. Um, yeah. So, so you, you got it. Did you like, he's like, Hey, I want to go, I want to start this Academy for people in midlife that want to, that are going through this midlife change. And, you know, he, he and I talked about, he came on the show three years ago when I, when I first started the show and I had met him in 09. So we'd never really talked since then, but Tony Lilios, mutual friend of ours, introduced me to Chip. And, um, and so I, I, I would love like to hear like, how does one go from a hotelier to this like, I mean, I guess there's a hotel aspect to MEA, but how did you like, and, and, and was your hotel in Todos Santos where you were? Or it was, you said it was in Pescadero or sorry, I, I forgot the, the hotel you were at before <laughs> MEA came into the picture. Um, I actually was part of a number of different hotels. The first one that I helped open and none of them were mine, to be clear, I was opening hotels for other people. Um, first one was in Pescadero. And then where I met, met Chip, I'd gone on to do open a hotel in Todos Santos called Hotel Casa Tota, which was just a little project um, that was done by the GM who had built the first hotel ranch of Pescadero. Got it. And what I wanted was I wanted a blank canvas. I wanted to know if I was actually good at opening hotels or if we just had a lot of money to throw at the first one in a great location. And, you know, was it a perfect storm or was I actually good at what at this like kind of culture creation and, and building staff and co and concepts and so we did Casa Tota for a year while I was at Casa Tota Chip tried to book at the first hotel and they were sold out mm. good friend of mine um named Carla who was still at um Rancho Pescadero said Christine's gone on to do a new project why don't you try to find her so he reached out to me at Casa Tota we connected he ended up coming to Toto Santos and now uh, MEA is the third project that we've actually done together. So we worked on um, a few different things bef before MEA. And when he had the concept of MEA, you know, here I am. I'd been in Mexico working, launching things for about eight years, I guess, at that point. More than that, almost 10 years. And uh, called. I was his first phone call, which I will always feel flattered about. And he told me That's the so concept. Cool. And there we went. And then my first phone call was to Chef Tony Peralta who I continue to work with today and who is hopefully coming up to Santa Fe to launch our food up here. He is 
the most, one of the most beloved staff members at MEA. To your point about us uh, being hoteliers first, you know, we didn't come out of personal growth world, although Chip had a relationship with Esalen. We came out of hospitality. And so while we are doing deep work at MEA, it's rooted in like luxury hospitality. Yeah, that's so cool. And so, and obviously Chip has that background too, right? So like you guys are all yeah. like, there's this, I, I wish I'm blanking. So my wife's aunt, she worked at, do you remember the movie? Um, oh man, it's, it's uh, Sofia Coppola did the movie with um, Bill Murray in Japan. You know, yes. remember this famous, you remember this yeah. famous movie? Yes, yes, and, yes. Gosh, I'm blanking on the name of it, but, but there's a, there's a hotel that they're in and it's a super famous hotel in Tokyo. So, and I'm blanking on the name of the hotel, but if I said it, you'd know it. I think it's like the Intercontinental or something like that. So my wife's aunt worked there. And when she was like, this is in the probably early nineties, late eighties, right out of college. And she's like in Japan, like they have like, and I'm blanking on the word, but the, there's like a word for hospitality where it's like, like give somebody something that they don't know they want, but they will end up wanting. Right. Let's, yeah. So it's like yeah. being ahead of like one step ahead of your guest, Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's it, it, I think there is something magical about great like this like hotel experience and and having people take care of you i guess i mean is that yeah. is that do you think that's a big part of the area's culture at mea or like Absolutely. your perspective i mean i think it it's all about care it's all about like a genuine hospitality from the heart for me it really really starts with the staff right like our staff is our first guest. We have to take great care of mm. them. I want to take great care of them because they're the ones providing the experience for our guests. So so really for me, it's all about the staff. I love what MEA has unleashed in the world. I love the community. We just, this weekend, this past weekend, Darius, we had 300 people come to Santa Fe for our reunion. And we have over 300 graduates at this point from 42 countries. Um, and and I think the reason that it's so sticky, the reason that this sense of community is so intense starts with the experience in Baja and that's provided by our staff because they genuinely show up. They genuinely show up every single day. And I think it's a job, you know, we've endeavored to create a job in Pescadero that is dignified and pays hopefully outrageously. And, you know, people love to come to every single day because when they love what? to come to work, they love our guests. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. What do you, it's, it, so two things there, like there, Mercedes calls it customer one, right? That your, yeah. your team is your first customer. Um, I'm a firm believer in that too. And, and I'm like, look, if, if I want a client to have a good experience, then my team has to have a good experience because they're my customer's experience is a direct reflection of my team's experience. Um, but going to, um, the experience at MEA, I guess, first of all, who do you think, like, when you start thinking of who, like, obviously, it's for midlife, it's this place for people to come and learn, learn about how to experience midlife and to, you know, take this next part of their life and, and, and do it and do it even better, right? And maybe I'm not saying it the right way. But like, 
when you start thinking about this loyal alumni group that's coming to MEA, like who's it, who, who's your ideal avatar? Who's your ideal? Who's this for? Like someone that's listening. That's like, what is that? Maybe I should do it. I don't know. Like who's the avatar that's like, man, if you are this, you should come check this out. Um, if I might backtrack a little bit, you know, when we started, we were really focused on this midlife and we thought it would be, you know, 45 to 65 and, and people in transition. We've had people from 28 to 92 come. So I think it's more of like a psychographic than a, a midlife. It's about transition and it's about wanting mm. to move into that that second place, that second phase or that second adulthood with intentionality and community. Um I, our average guest is is 54 years old, um, has had a career, but over we've given out over two million dollars in financial aid. Thirty percent of our seats in Baja are reserved for people who are coming on scholarships, because again, really early we discovered the power of community and having a lot of diverse view, viewpoints in the room is the thing, right? Is the thing that makes it click. So, I think anybody who is interested in learning tools and finding the community to enter that second half of adulthood um, with intentionality and curiosity and joy should come really I love that yeah I got you know I got uh, you don't know this I got referred to MEA did I tell you that story no tell me the story right, I'm gonna tell you the 45 second version just to, out of respect for it because we're we're, we're we're running over here and I want to I want to respect your time so I uh my life imploded uh, hard like four years ago uh, in 2019 I was like midlife I'm, I didn't want to be CEO of my company anymore and I was I, and I was and I'm not a quitter and I didn't want to know what to do and and so I had this like moment where I was in my car and I'm like I'm quitting and I was like what and I like said it out loud to myself yeah. by myself and like it threw I threw it up and I was like whoa it's like like you throw up you're like what the hell did that come from um and I was like oh my god I can't believe I fucking just said that and then I toughed it out for like nine months or 11 months actually and then I quit um and then I went and I was like in a dark place and I was not doing well and so I, my friends my really good friend Jeff Shocks his wife Kate who's my wife ironically enough my wife and her met when they were 18 backpacking through Mexico for a year um in like the early 90s and so she's like darius should go check out uh, this thing called the modern elder academy this is in 2020 2020 <laughs> like, it was like january of 20 and i'm like i don't want to get coached by anybody <laughs> <laughs> fuck that <laughs> and so i i ended i didn't do anything with it but um but that was the first time i had heard of it and um and then have since, you know, obviously talked to Chip about it and we have Shelly Paxton in common and I know that she spent oh. time down there, but I've heard just absolutely amazing things about it. And, and I know a lot of people now have gone down there. Our, our, good, our mutual friend, Tony Lilios is, or, is organizing a trip. I might try to make that trip with him. Um, Please but come. yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to try to make it happen. So, um, so yeah, so that was my, my one experience with MEA, but I wanted to, to go a different direction just cause we're kind of nearing the end of the show. And I know you guys are opening this new campus in Santa Fe, right? So if you don't mind, like, I know you've now since moved from Toto Santos area to Santa Fe, uh, you're building out this academy or the, the, this new campus there. Um, tell us a little bit about that. And then I have one pointed question for you about that. And then I want to get to our, our greatness question. 
Excellent. But I want to backtrack just a little bit because you said something about coaching and I shared that resistance, that kind of coaching resistance. Um, not as much now as I did at the beginning of, of this sure. you know, five year journey. We have this third uh, co-founder. His name is Jeff Hamley and he's absolutely like brilliant and luminous. And one of the earliest kind of tweaks he made to our business model was this idea that wisdom is not taught, that it's shared. And again, it goes back to this idea of being in the room with this incredible collection of experienced and sophisticated and wildly diverse people in the room and sharing what you know, right? So yeah. it, 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 again, it's not about coming and being coached. It's not about us having the answers and telling you what you're going to do and, and what your next steps are, but putting you in like the right, uh, the right soup with, with the right ingredients to kind of process yourself. So um, your question was about Santa Fe and what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I appreciate what you just said. I, I, I was in, I was in the, I had done a ton of coaching at that point and I'm like, and I was just burnt on it. And I'm like, I got to figure this out for myself, which that probably, you know, look like obviously the timing wasn't great because it's right when COVID happened. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in a bunch of CEO groups and it's all about peer to peer learning and learning from each other's experiences. Right. And that, that's changed my life in ways I can't even explain. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about Santa Fe. I know we're getting towards the end of the show here. I want to respect your your time and and uh, get you out of here on time. Uh, so Santa Fe, we're actually will be opening in almost exactly a year's time on the Rising Circle Ranch, which is our 2,500 acre ranch about 25 minutes south of the Santa Fe Plaza, um, and it will. It's just so stunningly beautiful. So a place to go and immerse. We'll be able to have two different cohorts going at a time in the two different houses. On the campus, there'll be a big equine component. Um, obviously, on that kind of space, you know, 2,500 acres, you can go deep, you can find quiet. So we'll have that project, and then some. Some time after that, we'll be opening our in-house, our in-town campus as well. That's on the site of a former Catholic retreat center. So we've we've got all kinds of things working here in Santa Fe, and we also are doing regenerative communities. So we, you know. To the point of listening to your guests, we had people telling us over and over and over again, Darius, that they did not want to leave at the end of the week, that they wanted to live this way. So we ran a, a pilot kind of in Baja called Baja Sage that's a regenerative community. It's 26 residential units around a regenerative farm. And uh, it's kind of like intentional community light right? Is that how do we want to live together but have a lot of privacy? So uh, we did that in Baja. COVID hit, we thought, oh shit, we're fucked. And it sold out before we ever could build a website. Um, wow. We'll be doing regenerative communities here in Santa Fe eventually as well. We're trying to pace in a really smart way so that we can deliver, you know, beautiful experiences and quality the whole way. So uh, we'll be rolling those out slowly, but it's all coming. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I was, I was going to, I was going to bash on um, millennials for a hot second here, but I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> I was, I, I, it's, it's uh, my millennial friends know that I like to bash on them. Um, I was like, Hey, do you think the millennials are going to work as hard as your, as your Mexicanos and Todos Santos? Like, like are they going to appreciate the job and, and give the same experience? You're going to demand that of them since you're the jefe. You know what? I, I feel like when you create jobs and culture that really honor people, they show the fuck up, right? Yeah. Like I want to be the employer of choice in New Mexico. I want to, I, I just do. I want us to be the place that has a waiting list to get a job because it's so good 
to be here and we're so fair and generous and kind um and that it's an inspiring place to work yeah so, no, i'm hopeful I, 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 i'm hopeful yeah i i knew that i knew that was the answer i just wanted to bash on the millennials <laughs> um <laughs> this is a rhetorical question um <laughs> So let's uh, let's go to the greatness question, and we'll get you. Then we'll plug a little bit of MEA, and we'll get you out of here. So um, as as I mentioned earlier, we have the greatness question here at the Greatness Machine, and uh, I'm going to go for it. So, what is the number one barrier to creating greatness that you've overcome in your life, and how did you overcome it? Oh my goodness, I think that that's a, an evolutionary question for me, right? I think I'm probably my own biggest obstacle. I just deal with with imposter syndrome all the time. Like, who am I to be doing this work? Who am I to push back on, on chip? Um, you know, and I have, I do have great ideas. I bring a lot of value. And so I think my biggest obstacle is me. Christine Sperber is my biggest obstacle and I'm trying every day to, uh, to learn and get better and be confident, you know? Yeah. Well, you, 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 uh, you take that imposter syndrome and throw it out. Cause you're, you're a boss lady, man. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm like, dude, put, you should push back on chip every chance you get. <laughs> I'll tell him you said that. <laughs> yeah. Tell him to Darius said like, I need to challenge you more. Um, <laughs> no, you know what? I, I realized like, I, I don't have that. I mean, I've always been like, fuck it. And it's going to tell them what I think. And if they don't like it, they can go pound sand. Um, yeah. but I think that, look, you have the experience, right? So it's like, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you've been on this planet for a minute and you've had some cool experiences and, and, and you're a respectful human. So I, I, I love, I love hearing that it just means that you're thoughtful and you care, but, um, but I think you need it. I think you need to own it because you're a badass. There's no question about that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, you're welcome. Well, look, I really appreciate you coming on the show and just spending time with us and teaching us all about all the amazingness and greatness that you're doing. Do you mind doing a little plugging of uh, the MEA and any other stuff you want to promote? And I uh, will get you out of here. I would love to promote MEA because for five and a half years, I've seen it make a deep difference in people's lives. So it feels good to stand behind it and spread the word. ModernElderAcademy.com. You can find out about our um, in-person workshops in Baja. You can find out about our online. If you don't want to travel or you want to do a, a kind of longer wavelength learning with us, we've got six and eight week courses online with the absolutely transformative Carrie Cardinale. She is world-class educator, online educator. I can't believe that we get to have her on our team. So find us, come down, spend time with us, either in Mexico or online, or wait till we're in Santa Fe, but we would love to have you. And again, I've just seen it work over and over again. All right. Greatness. I loved it. Greatness machine peeps. You heard it here. Modernelloacademy.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Christine Sperber. You're a badass. Appreciate you so much. So glad that we've gotten to become homies. I can't wait to come hang out with you in Santa Fe. And uh, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And I want you to make pizza for me sometime, please. Because I know that's your thing. Yeah, it is. And and you got to come to Austin for that, though. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Um, you so much for having me. I'm I'm really honored to be here. It's a really kind of all- all-star cast that you've you've had on and that imposter syndrome is like wow i get to be on the greatness greatness machine with darius amazing you you are you are part of the greatness that's for sure <laughs> uh that said guys uh, appreciate you so much share this people we as leaders are givers share this with people who need to hear it until next time peace out we love you uh, hey, uh, she's my love.
you are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.